Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. I know some of you think I talk fast. Buckle up. Today is going to be one of those ones. Um, Because I believe that God calls us into expressive worship. He calls us into a way he likes to be worshipped. And we got to get a little bit of teaching, a little bit of background on that so we can grow in it. So I'm going to ask us to pray this prayer together. Okay, everyone say, Lord, help me. Preach really fast. No, Uh, just say, Lord, help me grow. Out of all of these 17 things, what my prayer for you is, and your prayer should be for yourself, is saying, God, help me grow in an area that you're going to challenge me to grow in. I would challenge you to grow in all of these areas, but realistically, 16 areas to grow in off of one Sunday. Just say, Lord, help me grow and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and commit to starting to grow and work on an area of your worship, of your personal relationship with God, so we can grow together as a body. Does that sound good? Okay, so today's Palm Sunday. If you don't know what Palm Sunday is, Palm Sunday was leading up to the Passion Week before Jesus was put on trial on Friday. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. Uh, Jesus goes, he's tried, uh, he is crucified, and it leads us into the Easter weekend. But just a few short days before, there was a group of people who recognized Jesus as their hope, as the Messiah. They began to start seeing him for who he was. And I think it's a great picture with the series we've been in Uh, talking about the power of God's presence and worship because people begin to expressively praise God and worshiping him the way that God describes and asks to be worshiped all throughout the Bible and the Old Testament. Now, I've said this, if we are going to get to know God, that's really our heart. We have to know that God is a person and people like and don't like certain things and God is no different. God tells us very plainly what he likes and doesn't like. He, He wrote a book on it. Your spouse didn't. So keep working on your marriage, you know? Learning about likes and dislikes and how to respond and build relationship, it takes time because we want to get to know that person, but it's the same with our relationship with God. He paid the ultimate price. He laid down his life, and yet he asks for some things because in his... In his image, in his makeup, God has desires and emotions and and ways that he likes to be worshipped and communicated with and, and how he wants to be in relationship with you. And the Bible shows us some of those things. But we pick it up in John chapter 12, verse 12 to 13. It says this. The next day... Uh, The news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city, and a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches, went down to the road to meet him, and they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail the King of Israel. Luke 19, verse 37 picks this up, and it says, When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that he had seen. When I talk about the expressions of worship, I think Palm Sunday shows it. They wave palm branches. They're lifting their hands. They're worshiping God. They're bowing down before him. They're shouting. They're singing. They're, they're, they're de- declaring who he is as they walk with Jesus on Palm Sunday. And I would say this. There is no argument about it. There is no question about it. Worship is expressive. 
And yes, it is a lifestyle, but if you say, well, I worship God in my life in every little thing, sure, good, worship God in every little thing that you do. But worship corporately, worship in prayer and worship is expressive, and there are things that God calls us to in his word, and every area of our lives there is a time to worship, whether we're alone, whether we gather together, we are to minister before God first, so that involves worshiping God the way he desires to be Worship. Why? Why is this? Because we want to know the power of his felt presence. To me, I I don't know what it would be like to go through life and not experience the felt presence and that communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit walking through life. In case you're wondering, we are not cessationists at this church. God is alive, he's moving, the gifts are flowing, God is doing incredible things. We get to walk in day in, day out through the power of the Holy Spirit, the way God leads us through his presence. Hosea 6 verse 3 says this, Oh, that we might know the Lord, so let us press on to know him. How he will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the coming rains in early spring. We need to press into knowing the Lord, press into worship, press into the things that God likes so we can learn how to worship him and grow in our understanding of how we can minister before the Lord. So here's where it gets really fast and really interesting. There are some things I want you to know today about worship, okay? This is the 794. You ready? Everyone's like, maybe not. Um, I'll send some of this out in the weekly email as a PDF because there's 50-plus scripture references in the next few minutes here. Um, We're not going to read them all. Um, Okay, so everyone say 794. 794. First thing you need to know today is there are seven, seven Hebrew words for worship in the Bible. Like, what do you mean? It's not just worship. No, there are seven Hebrew words, and the Hebrew language actually deals more in word pictures and words paint a picture rather than our our Greek kind of understanding of linear concepts. The Hebrew language put this picture out there of how God was expressing things, how the people would express things. So a word didn't just have this linear meaning. It had a whole picture that went with it, and it shows a picture of who God is and how he wants to be worshipped. So we're going to go through these really quickly. Seven Hebrew words for worship. The first one is toda. Toda. Not tada, toda. And tada means to acknowledge and adore, to confess God's works and character and thanksgiving, to sing and declare of the goodness and the greatness of God. So if we say, uh, if someone were to say in the Hebrews, like today we're going to toda, we're going to worship the Lord, that means we're going to lift our voices in praise, in thanksgiving, we're going to declare God's character, we're going to declare who he is, even if we don't feel those things right now. The toda aspect of worship is say, God, I come before you with thanksgiving, with praise with worship that is defined by your character, not my feelings, and I'm going to worship you because of who you are, and I'm going to sing of your goodness because even though life doesn't feel good right now, God, your word declares that you are good. It's part of your nature. It's part of your character, so I will toda, I will worship you, okay? So that's number one. Number two, the second Hebrew worship word is yada. Everyone say yada. To stretch out the hands in worship or to throw out the hands in power. Now, if you ever wonder why we lift our hands in worship, and 
why you should lift your hands in worship at times, because this is the yada worship of God. So we lift our hands in worship, but we also throw out our hands in power. Worship is uh, surrender and a receiving from God, but the throwing out your hands in power, it is actually a declarative act of God's might and God's strength and tearing down strongholds of the enemy. Worship is not just passive where it's all about us and God filling us up. We lift our hands, and sometimes you watch me like I do things like this, and I move around, and I jump and look like a leprechaun on the Lucky Charm box. But I don't care. The devil's not going to win. We're going to worship God. We're going to declare what he declares. And so there's an aspect in worship where I lift my hands because I'm going to surrender. I'm going to invite God in. I'm opening myself up. I'm saying, God, as I stretch out my hands, it's like I'm a child reaching out to you. Would you bring me to the place where you talk to me, where you pull me close? Would you minister into my life? I offer you everything that I have. But then there's times I lift my hands in declarative praise that I am going to declare warfare on the end enemy. We're going to see strongholds broken. We're going to see people set free. And that's why sometimes I might get a little bit excited in church, but that's because I care about people seeing freedom that belongs to them in Jesus Christ. And lifting our hands isn't this nice little passive thing. This is saying there are strongholds in this community, in the tri-region, and God, they're coming down because people need to know who you are. But people don't see Jesus for who he really is unless the church begins to express and worship God and demonstrate who he is to people. So that's the yada. So there was a yearning for the Lord, Psalm 143. Uh, like I said, there's references for all these things, but there's also an attacking of the enemy. So in Joshua chapter 8, uh, there was a picture where Joshua stretches out his staff towards one of the cities, and he didn't retreat his arm until all the enemy was defeated. That's like saying, God, right now my kids are struggling with this. My friend is struggling with this. I'm going to lift my hand and I'm going to keep praising and declaring and declaring what you say over them until it comes to pass, until the enemy's power is broken. This is the yada worship of God. So we got tuda, we got yada. Now we got a nice one. We got Barack. Everyone say Barack. Not Obama, Barack. And now we get into this other aspect of kneeling before God in adoration. Invoking, inviting God's presence to celebrate, to bless God on bended knees, saying, God, I, I worship you for who you are, and I am not worthy of your presence. I am not worthy of your grace, of all the things in my life, but I will get on my knees and humbly declare who you are and invite you in, and I will declare, God, I am dependent on you. There is a poverty in my spirit that only you can fill, Jesus, that I have to set my eyes and my heart towards you. Why? Because without you, I am spiritually bankrupt. There's this, there's this adoration of God on our knees. And, and if you ever kneel in worship, it's that moment of saying, God, here I am. I don't deserve this. I couldn't make this up, but you're so good. So out of love and humility and understanding of who you are, I'm just going to lay it all out there. I'm totally dependent on you, God. I need you to move because I can't do this on my own. So we have the Tada, the Yada, the Barak. Then we have the Shabak. Shabak is one of my favorites. To address God with loud noise. Everyone say loud. loud. 
Come on, loud noise. A loud voice and a shout of praise. My goodness, no wonder church isn't quiet. God wants to be praised with a joyful noise, a loud sound, a shout of praise, a rejoicing, a thanksgiving. It's to laud him, to lift him up, to, to uh, sing and shout of how amazing it is. You know, I, I don't get very excited very easily. For Jesus up here, and then like, if you give me a gift, this is my excited face. This is why Brandy stopped buying me gifts for a long time. Because, like, I'm like, oh, thanks, this is great, you know? Now, you ask uh, other people that I know about something that they're excited about, like, they're bouncing, they're moving, they can't contain it, it's, it's so, and I'm like, whoa, just come down about nine levels, and, you know, because, like, honestly, I could probably get handed a check for a million dollars, I'd be like, oh, wow, like, this is amazing, thank you, that's so good, and, like, other people, you would, like, shout and, you know, run around the room and jump up and down and, you know, break something because I can afford to buy a new one, you know? You just have that personality. And the Shabbat praise of God. Now, this is where we get into these things. Sometimes we say, well, my personality isn't really that way. Well, here's the thing. Then let's work on our personality. I'm not saying your personality is bad. God created you the way he created you, so I won't knock those things. But if God says, I like to be praised and worshiped like this, then when Scripture says, lift up your voice, shout unto God with the voice of triumph, I, even though it is so far from the nature of what I want to be or how I feel like, I work on that saying, God, I'm going to be expressive and I'm going to shout praises and I'm going to lift up my voice. Because like, just full disclosure here, when the worship leader is like, let's all lift a shout of praise. Pastor Jeremy is one of the ones like, that actually is work for me. It is not my natural demeanor, my bent, but I do it because scripture declares that we worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. And so when we come to the Shabbat, the, the lifting up of God's uh, name with a loud voice, a loud noise, a shout of praise, uh, we learn to, to praise and worship him out of obedience. So number five is this, halal. Halal. So this is a really interesting one. The halal aspect of worship is to shine clear in character. This is where your lifestyle comes into play in worship, but also to be extremely expressive before God, to be clamorously foolish, to boast, to glory, to delight, or to abandon oneself in the presence of the Lord. This would be David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. His conscience was clean. His character was clear. His motive for bringing the presence of God was holy and pure. But in the midst of all of that, he was extremely expressive and foolish and singing and dancing and abandoning himself before the Lord because his hope and his confidence was in God, not in himself. And, and when we come to a place where we understand that, God, we are so desperately dependent on you, we praise you with a loud shout, with a loud noise, we can actually shine bright and clear in character through worship because God is working those impurities out of us because the things that we're doing in worship, they're not about me being this way or that way. It's about me saying, God, I'm giving myself to you and you can shape and refine and make clean any area of my character that you want. Because my job is to offer myself to the Lord so I can shine brilliantly in my life because of the God who has changed me based on my relationship with him through worship. 
Number six. Everyone say number six. Guys, we're about a third of the way through the message. Uh, <clears throat> number six is Zamar. All the musicians love this one. Zamar. It means to touch the stringed instruments. To play musical instruments before the long the Lord, to sing and make music before the Lord. We don't just have cool guitar players and key players and all of that stuff because we like to have a concert on Sunday. No, the stringed instruments, the piano, which would be like a harp in the Bible, the, the guitars, the instruments, they were there. The, one of the words for worship was to play on the instruments and lift up a sound of worship before the Lord to invoke and bring his presence in, to sing and make music. Music is, has been, always will be a huge part of worship. And then some of you ask about the lights. Well, go read Revelations. Flashing lights, sounds, all those things. It's all there in Revelation. Now it's going to be in heaven. It's not a stretch. Read Revelations 21, 22. But the, the music aspect of the worship of God, uh, out of every ministry, worship is the one that will last forever. Our praise and our adoration are worship before God. Now, this isn't to build up the worship team be like, we have the most important ministry. No, no, no. It's God's ordained aspect of worship, and all the priests and all the believers will constantly for eternity be able to minister before the Lord and sing and bow down. So all of these Hebrew words, they will endure in heaven forever because we will behold Jesus in all his glory. We will know him like we've never known him before. Uh, so the word zamar is to touch the stringed instruments, but also to sing praises. You can see in Psalm 68, verse 4. So the last Hebrew word for worship is, say there's seven. Everyone say seven. Number seven is this, tehillah. Not tequila. Both of them might make you do some strange things, but this is not the same thing. To sing songs of praise, an emphasis on singing new songs spontaneously before the Lord, unrehearsed, or the New Testament counterpart would be in spiritual songs and singing. We talk about and see in the New Testament that the believers would uh, sing spiritual songs and there would be prayer and singing and worship. And the tequila aspect of God would to be going to worship and say, God, give us a song to sing. Give us a, a, a worship from our spirit, uh, almost an intercessory worship that lifts up the name of the Lord, that declares things that God would declare uh, and, and leads us into those spontaneous moments to just really give God all the things that are in the inside of our heart and let them flow out in worship. That is the tehillah aspect of worship. So point number one today was there are seven Hebrew words for worship. And then we're going to pray the prayer. We're going to say, Lord, help me grow. Because to perfect all of these things in your personality, in your schedule, in your time, it will take a long time. But I think when we approach the word of God and we approach the ways of God saying, Lord, I just want to grow. I want to know you more. He will, by his Holy Spirit, challenge you in areas of these word pictures to say, well, why don't you try doing this a little bit more? Why don't you take some time to uh, take the, the, the Barak worship and, and get on your knees and invite me into these areas of your life that you really just not, you've been trying to fix them on your own and you haven't just left them for me to speak into. Why don't you start stretching out your hands and lifting them and worshiping me and declaring what I say over situations in your life instead of 
letting them hang at your side and you slouch in your chair and you feel so defeated. We all do it. And it takes work to be like, no, I'm going to get up. I'm going to praise the Lord. David said these things all throughout the scripture. Why are you so downcast, my soul? He says, I will tell my soul to praise the Lord. Sometimes you've got to tell your emotions, your mind, will, and emotions to get up and praise God because that's going to change how you look at things. And so we, we come to worship the Lord in the 794. There are seven Hebrew words for worship. But now what I want to get into is there are nine biblical expressions of worship. Like, oh my gosh. So this is 16 and the 17. So seven and nine, that's 16, right? My math is still good. Mr. McKinnon, you're on the board. I added that up, right? Yeah. He'll check it later. Um, 16 and uh, nine expressions of worship. So where the Hebrew words for worship give us this picture and this idea of how we approach God and how we worship, uh, the, the word of God actually gives us these expressions that are shown over and over again in scripture on how God likes to be worshiped and how he asks to be worshiped. And there are nine of them. So let's say this. There are three with the hands. Okay, three with the mouth and three with the feet. And these are areas that we just need to grow in. So we talked about it a little bit. So one of the ones with the hands is the lifting of hands. We lift our hands in worship. First Timothy 2 verse 8 says, I want men everywhere, men. I'm just going to say this as a side note. Men, you want to lead your families in the fullness of God? Become a worshiper. Learn how to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. And as you follow him, you will become a man of God worth following and you will lead your family better than you ever have before. So Timothy says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Then there's all these other references, Exodus 17, Hebrews 12, Chronicles 20, Psalm 63, Psalm 134, verse 2, Psalm 141, verse 2. The lifting of hands in worship is part of that offering and surrendering ourselves to God, but also declaring and pointing out things that the enemy is trying to do to break down strongholds. Then there is clapping, okay? Clapping is one of the expressions of worship. You ever wonder why we ask you to clap? Why the worship leader is like, let's clap at this part of the song? Because it actually doubles up as two of the expressions of worship. Clapping is one of them where uh, Ezekiel 21 verse 14 says this, So then, son of man, prophesy and strike your hands together. Let the sword strike twice, even three times. It's a sword for slaughter, a sword for great slaughter, Closing in on them from every side. That's like, that is a weird verse for in church. But one of the pictures of clapping in worship is that declarative process of enemy, this is going to break. I'm not going to have it anymore. I'm going to scatter the enemy. I'm going to clap my hands. I am going to let you know that I'm coming. I'm going to let you know that God is bringing warfare into that area, that sickness, that thing you've been trying to hold over that person, that discouragement. God, this is going to break. And it's a declaration in worship that as we strike our hands together, they would do this in the time of battle, and it was a sign of the coming sword, that a victory is coming because God is leading us, and we're going to see breakthrough in these areas. But then it goes into the worship side in Psalm 47, verse 1. It says, come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with a joyful praise. It's a celebratory thing. Some of us struggle to clap our hands at church, but I'm sure, sure they clapped their hands at the Oilers game last night. Like, what was the final score? Like 
Six nothing? I saw I saw goal number five. I watched the first period and I turned it on, it's five nothing. I saw Connor score. I'm like, that's enough for me. Five goals. They shouldn't blow this one. They could, but they shouldn't. <laughs> oh, and we clap for the Oilers and we clap for our favorite football team. And, and we clap for our kids when, even though some of the things they're doing are mediocre at those school plays. <laughs> Not you, son, other people's kids. <laughs> but we clap and we celebrate things and, and, and we encourage by clapping. And, and, you know, sometimes in worship we come into the presence of God and, and people, when they come in and the believers are like, why are these people excited and joyful? That clapping and that celebrating maybe just lets them know a little bit that there is something worth being excited about here. Here's a people that actually care and are excited about what's going on and, and, and loving their God and worshiping him the way they sing, they clap, they shout with a joyful noise. The other expression of worship with the hands is the playing of musical instruments. And everyone's like, well, I don't know if I can play a musical instrument. Not all of you should try. <laughs> We're not that nice that just because someone wants to try that everyone should be on the worship team. There, there's skill, there's growth, there's things, but every single one of us, uh, that's where clapping would double up. You know, you clap, uh, some of you in time, some of you not in time, but that's your instrument. <laughs> I'm going to tell the worship leaders, hey, if people clap out of time, I don't really care. At least they're clapping and worshiping God. It's painful for you, but it, it's, 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 I would rather people be expressive and we got to teach them a little bit more how to clap on time than, than them not to be expressive in worship. 1 Samuel 16, verse 16 says this, Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit of God comes upon you and you will feel better. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, there was these instances where they would look for a musician to play an instrument, to play the strings. Why? Because they believed that discouragement lifted, spirits lifted, that there were things that happened in worship. When the prophets would want to prophesy, they would say, bring a minstrel. Often, you know, it's because it brings you into the attitude and presence and music and worship just brings us to a place where it gets our focus off of all the other stuff into what we're supposed to be thinking, believing, and saying about who God is. And then it allows God to speak through us and use us so we can speak into other people's lives. Why? Because God wants to speak to people. And so one of the expressions of worship is playing musical instruments. So there's three with the hands. But then there are three with the feet. And everyone says, oh my. Like, three with the feet. And you're like, what are you going to ask us to do here? I'm going to ask you to dance. Yeah. Ain't no party like a Glory Hills church party, eh? <laughs> well, the first aspect of the, the expressions of worship with the feet would be the standing or the sitting. Uh, it says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 5, it says, And the Levites, and I'm not going to read their names, said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be, exalt 
may be exalted above all blessing and praise. There was a command from the worship leaders to tell the people to stand up in the presence of God. I've read this scripture and alluded it to a lot this year. In Chronicles, it says, as the men stood with their wives and their little ones before the Lord, they could hear his voice and they worshiped and they praised. There is a posture and a positioning of ourselves as we stand in the presence of God like we're ready to take orders like an army to hear what he wants to say, to have him speak into our lives. When we just sit back and comfortable and relax, you can receive from God in that aspect because sitting is one of them. We'll get to it. But there is something about standing that shows you're ready and you're at attention to hear where God's calling you and where he's leading you. And so we stand in the presence of the Lord, but we also sit in his presence and we let him speak to us and, and talk with us in those moments. And then there's bowing and kneeling. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And it brings us back to that Hebrew word where we're going we're gonna to bow before the Lord and we're just going to declare, God, here I am again with all gratitude and thankfulness. And as I bow before you, my heart is open. I want to hear what you have to say. And I'm just letting you know, God, I realize in my life that without you, I got nothing. But I'm also so thankful that because of you, I can step into all of these things as I get to know you. So there's standing and sitting, there's bowing and kneeling as, as expressions with the feet. But then there is dancing. Now, this is going to be a stretch for some of you. Because some of you are like, I don't know if I could dance in church. But like maybe just start by like, like move a little bit like this, you know. Maybe get your hands up and move a little bit and start swaying. Like some of you are like this. I just like give them like, well, my feet are going to leave the ground and we're going to figure this out. And that's why, you know, we used to, uh, at the church I started as a pastor, as pastors, we used to sit on the platform all during worship and look out at everyone. But it was like, if you're going to be leaders, you're going to be examples. So I would like have to be staring right at Jake and like dance in worship and like... <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, man. And it's like you're trying to encourage people to dance, and then they feel weird, and they don't want to come back to church. And I'm, I'm good facing the worship team and, and dancing here now. But, but the expression of dancing before the Lord, it, it's celebratory, but it's not just about that. It's actually about declaring that God is giving us victory wherever the sole of our foot treads. There are, there are expressions in the Bible where it talks about um, Malachi chapter 4, verse 3. It says, then you will trample down the wicked. There'll be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. There are enemies that need to be crushed. There are these references in Scripture that we're saying, God, I'm going to dance before the Lord. My circumstances are not going to overtake me. My discouragement is not going to hold me back. I'm going to dance for the Lord because He is worthy of praise, but I'm also going to put those things under my feet because I live in the victory that Jesus calls me to. Another scripture says he makes my feet like the hinds feet of the deer, uh, dancing on the mountainside and, and that. That there is an ease and an effortlessness of moving through the rocky and rough things of life. Why? Because we don't do it in our own strength. We dance before the Lord and we are declaring that he is helping us. And, and that's why we dance. And so some of you are like, well, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And I'm just going to say, ask, ask God to to help you pray this prayer. Lord, help me grow. So next week, 
Everyone's going to dance. No, they might not. But I would encourage you to say, Lord, help me grow. Maybe move a little bit. Maybe you're like, I'll, I'll sway and I'll lift one foot this time. And then this one. And then maybe like I'll get my arms involved. Not too much of the hips. <laughs> my favorite, uh, uh, this gentleman went to be with the Lord. One of my favorite people from church growing up. Older gentleman in his 80s. And he would dance up and down the aisles. And he would just walk up and down the aisles of all the church. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be bitter at 80. I want to be better than I am today. I want to be like someone like that that just loves to be in the presence and the worship of God. He was probably losing his hearing, so he didn't care how loud it was. And he just kept dancing up and down the aisles. And just, I just love to be in that felt presence of God. And, and, it might feel strange and weird at first, but as you begin to say, God, help me grow in these areas. God, help me use the expressions of worship. Help me know when it's time to lift my hands, to declare things, uh, uh, to receive from you. Help me know, God, when it's time to clap and celebrate and sing and shout and, and speak. Help me, God, to know when it's time to kneel or stand in your presence. And, and God, give me strength to dance. To, to declare that the enemy is under my feet. That, God, you were victorious, so I'm going to celebrate in your victory even though I don't feel it in my life. You know, as a pastor, as a young pastor, it was kind of like we were told, you lead the way. If you're going to be an example, if you're going to be a leader, you lead. And you lead in what God asks you to do. And so there were times I came to church. And you know how hard it is to stay really angry and ticked off when, like, you get into two songs and you're like, oh, I'm a leader. I guess I have to dance. Well, you, you do it because you don't feel like it, and you're doing your job. And then the next thing you know, you're shouting, you're praising, you're speaking in tongues, declaring who God is. And it's like, why was I so mad? And then you remember, and then you got to start all over again and just get back <laughs> in the presence of God. Once you start feeling that lift, don't stop to think about why you were so upset at me. Just, just keep going in worship, you know? But there's three with, the, three with the hands, three with the feet, and then there's three with the mouth. And, and these ones become a little more straightforward, but they're singing. Uh, in Chronicles 20, verse 21 and 22, it says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out ahead of the army, imagine this. They're, they're going to battle, and they're like, which tribe should we send first? And they're like, I'll put the worship team out there first. We'll see how serious this battle really is. Send the singers out in front of the army. And they're like, I bet you they worship pretty hard. <laughs> You're coming into like arrows and chariots. Like, I'd be worshiping like my life depended on it. And the singers went out first, and they declared the praises of God and who he was. And then they kept saying things, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. It's like... Thank you, God, for this opportunity to go into battle because you love me and that's not going to change and you're going to help us overcome. It says, as they began to praise and sing, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. I wonder how many times God wants to confuse and disrupt and disturb principalities and powers and the enemy, but we won't lift our voices to scatter them. And this is what happened. God, God says, if you would sing, if you would praise me, if you would put me in my rightful place, I'll scatter the enemy. Because those principalities and powers, they can't stand the praises of God. 
They know his authority. They know that they are no match for that. But, but we, we take it on and we, we sing in our worship. We shout in worship. Isaiah 42, verse 13 says, The Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will release the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Sometimes, when you're not feeling it, when you don't understand, you got to get the shout of the Lord, the shout of the King deep in your soul, saying, God, I am not going to stand for this injustice. I am not going to stand for this discouragement, for this thing. Why? Because my God is victorious. He is leading me forward. And I'm going to keep fighting those battles until I'm with Jesus. And we get something inside of us in a zeal and worship that says, I don't care what you come at me with. I come at you in the name of the Lord. That's how David defeated Goliath. He didn't get stronger, bigger, anything like that. He magnified the name of his God and he lifted God up over everything that Goliath threw at him. And that's how he overcame. And sometimes in our situations, we just got to get that shout in us of who God is and what he said and how he wants to move. The last one is this. So three with the hands, three with the feet, three with the mouth. And the last one is speaking. Psalm 35, verse 28 says, My tongue will speak of your righteousness and all your praises all day long. Psalm 145, verse 21 says, My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This is a tough one for all of us. But we got to pray that prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. Sometimes we're speaking a whole lot of things and we forget that death and life are in the power of the tongue. We need to speak God's praises. we got to get to that Philippians 4, whatever is pure, lovely, true, noble. Think on these things. Speak these things. Declare that God can move even in difficult situations. But our, our culture is so attuned and accustomed to bringing in through all of our eye gate and our ear gate, whether you listen to the news or you watch social media or all of those things, everything coming in is negative and it takes more and more work in our heart and in our spirit to speak what God speaks, to say what he says to speak of the goodness of God in the midst of trial and turmoil and it takes work for us in our worship to speak of the righteousness of God to speak of his praises to speak of his holy name forever and ever so when it comes to the 794 we got seven Hebrew words for praise we have nine expressions of worship. That's 16. I said I have 17 points. Four doesn't make sense, right? I'll tell you why. Because when we look at these things, it's all for his glory and our benefit. Boom. Now you're going to remember. I don't have four more points. I'm going to have the band come back up. Why would we entertain this? Why would we go into this? One, because we want to know our God. But two, this is all for his glory and his fame and his name and that we might worship our God the way he asked to be worshipped and we lift him up. But it's also for our benefit because when we learn how to fight battles through worship, when we learn how to praise, when we learn how to hear his voice, when we learn how to dance over the things that are coming against us in our life, we grow, we mature, we become the people people that God has called us to be. One of my favorite quotes out of his book, The Power of His Presence, was a man named Graham Trescott. 
He wrote about seven books that are basically theology courses. And it's really hard to get them now. You have to write them in India, where his headquarters was. Here was a man from New Zealand, gets married, moves to India, sees revival, crusades break out, starts all this teaching. And in the 70s, he released this book called The Power of His Presence. And he talks about a lot of these things I've been talking about, the the tabernacle of David and the restoration of worship. And why do we praise the way that we do and, and, and how do we do it and when and what does this look like in the New Testament church? And this is one of my favorite quotes from the book. He says this, Loud praise and worship is not for a fanatical few. It is for all who will bring up the ark of God. It's for all who long for the power of his presence. Because because he said in the, the 1960s, 1970s, churches started to form and shape into these institutions. And it's been that way for years that God, I, I can't believe it, he would entrust sinful men and women to carry his presence and to proclaim his gospel and and we're not perfect and we've done horrible things over the years through humanity and the the call is to press into God and carry his presence and 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 I I believe Graham was seeing in the the 1960s that church was becoming all about we do it right and we 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 do it this way and we do it proper and it looks a certain way And, and here's a guy in India looking for people to get saved and he's saying to the North American church and he's looking at Australia and New Zealand where he's from and he says, this applies everywhere. No matter how we want to try to do church, if we do it without the power of the presence of God, what are we doing? Because it's the presence of God that we carry that lets people see and believe a glimmer of hope for their future. I'm not that good of a preacher at church. I'm not going to get this whole region saved. It's going to be a people who believe they can carry the presence of God in every aspect of their life. It's a people that will come and humbly bow and kneel and praise and lift up the name of our God and go back into our community and say, there is something for people to receive in an encounter with Jesus, and I'm going to be a part of bringing them. It's the power of his presence. This is all for his glory. This is all for our benefit. We need to know our God if we're going to know who we are and what he's called us to do. In Exodus 33, verse 11, it said that in the tent of meeting, God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. In Numbers chapter 12, people are arguing about, well, can't God speak to all of us? And in Moses' day, no, he was speaking to Moses, but it changes. The Lord said to them, listen to what I say to you. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. But not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. And I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. In these passages, the Hebrew word yad or yada means to know. Yad, one of the Hebrew words for worship, the yada was to stretch out the hand. And if you look at what God's saying here, is he's saying there is a knowing of God where it's so intimate, it's almost to reach out your hand and touch the face. 
You know, when I, when I want to speak to one of my kids, when they're, when they're dealing with something, when they're upset or they're frantic, as a dad, what you try to do is you try to sit with them and you try to tell them, look at my face. Because you know when you're frantic and your emotions are everywhere, you know, look at my face. And, I, and I'll put my hand like on the side of their neck and, and I say, listen, this failure is not final. This is what God says about you. This is what mom and I believe about you. This is, this is what we truly know. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you are or you're a bad person. And, and there's an intimacy that comes in those moments where you say, no, no, let's talk about this face to face. Let's get real honest. Let's get close. And, and God's saying, this is how I talk to Moses. Moses, this is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to know. This is the depths of my heart. And God wants to know his people that way. And it was only Moses in the Old Testament that this happens with. But then you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and it says this. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they don't understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, everyone say whenever. When they turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's like God's just saying, would you, would you turn to me? Would you come look into my face? Would you see my heart? Would you turn your heart back towards me? Would you draw near to me? Because I long to reach out my hand and touch your life. I long for you to reach out and grab a hold of my face. You know when a little kid wants to get their parents' attention and they're like, dad, dad, dad. They don't do that to me. They say, mom, mom, mom. Um, it's amazing. When I drive the vehicle, it's quiet. When Brandy does, it's not. Um, but these little, little kids, like, yes, I'm listening. And they want to grab your face to make sure you're looking right at them. God's like, where's that desire and that hunger to know me? We can all grow in our expression of worship and, and how we worship. But, but the reality is, is because God wants us to know him because it's in those moments we will begin to know ourselves and who he's called us to be. And we will begin to believe the things he wants us to carry. Church, I just want to say this. It's a privilege to approach, to know, and to carry the presence of God in our lives. And it leads us to partner with God's purpose in the earth. This is not my story. This is not your story, not someone else's story. This is God's story of what he is doing in humanity, reconciling people and himself. And he says, we get to be ambassadors. We get to be those who get to be a part of it. And it is a privilege to know our God and carry his presence so other people might know him as well. So why don't we stand this morning? We're going to close with a song. And I'll end with this. There is a sacrifice of praise and a price for us to pay as a living sacrifice. We need to grow in our worship. We need to get into his presence. We need to make the time. But I hope we realize that this sacrifice is minimal compared to the power of a life that is marked by the presence of God. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.